0: It's Sunday morning and we are in a study and we're spending
1: some time on what I consider to be the greatest or the, uh, you can't call him greatest, the most famous false teacher in the last 2,000 years, which is Billy Graham. Billy Graham is not a false teacher because of any other reason than he taught false doctrine. Uh, There's two doctrines that Billy Graham taught, and they became his doctrine, and there is historical documentation that he's the guy that started this or actually got it in full swing. The two doctrines are the sinner's
0: prayer, sinner's prayer, and accept...
1: Let me just write it out the way he puts it. Accept Christ as your your personal Savior. You will not find that phrase anywhere in the Bible, or you won't even find anything that even... That even implies that in the Bible, the sinner's prayer, and accept Christ. The Bible says you cannot accept Christ when you're dead in sin. If you're dead, that's like going into a funeral home with your mother in a casket, and and she's on display there for people to come see for several days. And uh, people come in, and you decide to go by. Uh, mcdonald's or burger king and get her a hamburger and take it in and say mom uh, i know you haven't eaten in several days since you've been laying in the casket and i'd like for you to reach out and take this hamburger since you're hungry and uh, eat it that sounds ridiculous that's ri- ridiculous when you're dead in sin and you can execute your will your your, your personal will to let jesus another another phrase that they put with that is let jesus come into your heart nearly every church out there will say these words that's these words right here this is the this is how apostate we are how fallen away from god's truth There's nothing out there hardly ever about you must be born again. You have to believe God in obedience to his word. You don't obey God in order to be saved. You obey God because he's birthed you and made you a new creation in his kingdom. And you very seldom hear that. But you do hear sinner's prayer. Accept Christ as your personal savior. I'm going to read to you where this come from and how it all got started. It actually has been in the making for hundreds of years, but it was Billy Graham that popularized it and made it a big thing. Let me read something here. In 1801, there was a sensational revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, that lasted for weeks. Allegedly, people barked, rolled over in the aisles, and became delirious because there were long periods without food and intense heat. And then it tells you a little about a man named J.V. Combs who propagated this. Then along comes a man named Charles Finney. I'm familiar with Charles Finney's name ever since I was a little boy. And the preachers that preach about him, the ones that like him are free will preachers because Charles Finney propagated free will. Let me read this to you. It wasn't until 1835... That Charles Grandison Finney, he lived from 1792 to 1875, emerged to champion the system utilized by Eliezer Wheelock. Shortly after his own conversion, Finney left his law practice and would become a minister, a lecturer, a professor, and a traveling revivalist. He took the mourner's seat. Now I've heard about the mourner's bench. This is the predecessor of walking down the aisle. Mourner's bench. They called it bench or mourner's seat. And that would be when people would walk down the aisle and they'd get down to the front. Very closely related to the Methodist practice of accepting Christ. Now, accept Christ comes from the Church of England. uh, When When uh, Henry VIII, he wanted to divorce uh, his wife, Catherine of Aragon. They would name their last names after the city where they were from. So Catherine was Henry VIII's wife. He found this young girl, Anne Boleyn, and he wanted to marry her because he said Catherine hadn't brought him any sons Uh, into the world that could assume his throne so he kept asking the pope which at that time of henry the eighth when he was the king of england uh great britain was a roman catholic system nation and uh great britain is all of the is all of the uh uh countries that that make up the united kingdom and that would be uh, Scotland, Ireland, England, uh, one of the islands down in the Caribbean, Canada, Australia. And they were Roman Catholic back then. Well, the, po- the Henry VIII petitioned the Pope, said, I want to divorce my wife, Catherine, and I want to marry this girl, Anne Boleyn. And uh, the Pope said no because they didn't grant divorce. So he said, I will secede from the Catholic Church. I'll start my own church and I will call it the Anglican Church. Anglican means English or Anglo. When you think of Anglo-Saxons, A-N-G-L-O means English. So he started the English Church, which was the Church of England. Made himself the head of the church of england that's what caused such a ruckus between those people you can see the story of this there's an old movie called Anne of a thousand days it's talking about with richard burton the only difference is richard burton was real handsome and henry the eighth was ugly as sin he was ugly but he liked women and he had a whole bunch of wives so he said i want to I'm going to pull away from the Catholic Church. He started his own church so he could have another young girl in his life. You can also see that in the uh, uh, A Man for All Seasons was Sir Thomas More. He was objecting to that marriage and he was in the church and he was executed and had his head cut off. He was one of the the main men in England at that time. You can also see this story of this in the Tudors. It was a series on the, on TV, and the Tudors was about the family of England. And he, this man, Charles, well, I need to finish that. He seceded from the church, and he started his own church, and he kept most of the things that they have in the catholic church he kept his own form of the pope he called him the archbishop of canterbury you've probably heard of that and uh, then that was the pope of the, uh, the church of england and then he kept all the rituals and all of the incense and walking around and swinging the incense and the main thing he kept in the church was the mass and the mass was walking down the aisle and accepting the Eucharist. The, the priest would raise the Eucharist up and say, Hoc corpus e And it was said that that would turn into the literal body of Christ and blood of Christ. And it would be incorporated in that little cookie. And so you'd walk down the aisle and you would accept the Eucharist. That's where this accept Christ comes from that Billy Graham has propagated it's Catholicism that he propagates a lot of people don't like that. I don't make these things up. I've got documentation in my library then uh the Methodist Church pulled away from the Church of England, and the Methodists started came to America and they they implemented. Accept Christ, except they put their spin on it, where they would walk down the aisle. The Catholics would walk down the aisle, kneel down, stick their tongue out, and the priest would put the Eucharist on their tongue. The Methodists modified it. They would walk down the aisle, they put a fence down there, and they wanted to agonize and mourn and trying to accept Christ all night long. That's where the mourner's bench comes along. And then it bled away from the Methodist church over to the Baptist church and other Protestant denominations where you would go down the aisle and accept Christ. And And Mr. Finney modified it. And let me read a little more on him. Uh, he took the mourner's seat practice, which he called the anxious seat. And being a person that studies a lot of Bible and a lot of books, I'm very familiar with the anxious seat or the mourner's bench. This is the beginning of the walking down the aisle and praying the sinner's prayer and accept Christ that Billy Graham made popular. That's not true. And developed a theological system around it. Finney was straightforward about his purpose for this technique and wrote the following comment near the end of his life. The church has always felt it necessary to have something of this kind to answer this very purpose. In the days of the apostles, baptism answered this purpose. The gospel was preached to the people and then all those who were willing to be set to be on the side of Christ were called out to be baptized. It held the place that the anxious seat did now as a Public manifestation of their determination to Christendom now he had an opponent back in that damn time, and his opponent was uh I'll read to you about him. Finney made many enemies because of this innovation. The anxious seat practice was considered to be psychological technique that manipulated people to make a premature profession of faith. It was considered to be an emotional conversion influenced by some of the preachers' animal magnetism. And that's what Billy Graham had. Certainly was a precursor to the techniques used by many 20th century evangelists. In opposition to Finney's movement, John Nevin, a Protestant minister, wrote a book called The Anxious Bench. He intended to protect the, de- the denominations from this novel deviation. He called Finney's New Measures heresy, a babble of extravagance, fanaticism. This John Nevin said Finney was crazy, and he was, and so was Billy Graham, because that's not the truth. And quackery, that's another name he called Finney. Charles Finney was a very famous man in the 1800s. He also said, With a whirlwind in full view, we may be exhorted reasonably to consider and stand back from its destructive path. He said sinner's prayer and the anxious seat and it, what it develops into is a destructive path. It turns out that Nevin was somewhat prophetic. The system that Finney admitted had, re- had replaced the biblical baptism as the vertebrae. Of the popular plan of salvation that was made normative, made normal in the 20th century by three bills. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and Bill Brighton. These are the guys that started this Accept Christ and Walk the aisle and prayed this sinner's prayer. Then along comes Dwight Moody and R.A. Torrey. I'm very familiar with these names. Moody Institute and Moody Bible Church is in Chicago today. They've actually got a pastor that claims to believe at predestination, and you can hear him on the radio. Now, however, it wasn't until the end of Finney's life that it became evident to everyone and himself that the anxious bench approach led to a high fallout rate. Get somebody down to the anxious bench, Get them to pray and pray all night and they'll fall away because that's not the real thing. That's not the way a man is saved. By the 1860s, Dwight Moody, very famous man in the 1800s. In fact, famous today. Dwight Moody was the new apostle in the American evangelicalism. He took Finney's system and modified it. Instead of calling for a public decision, which tended to be a response under pressure, he asked people to join him and his trained counselors in a room called the Inquiry Room. Have you heard of any of this? It's very popular back in the 1800s. This was before Accept Christ, but evolves into Accept Christ and evolved into the sinner's prayer. It was an evolutionary process. Though Moody's approach avoided some of the errors encountered in Phineism, it was still a derivative or stepchild of the anxious bench system. It started its evolution. And then he goes on to say, In the inquiry room, the counselors asked the possible convert some questions, taught him from Scripture, then prayed with him. The idea that prayer was at the end of the process has been loosely associated with conversion in the 1700s. By the late 1800s, it was standard technique for receiving Christ as Moody's influence spread across the United States. This was where systematic prayer began But it was not called as such until the time of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a very famous preacher in the early 1900s. My father used to mimic him. He wanted to be Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday would put up a tent and put sawdust on the ground. He would talk about walking down the sawdust trail. I've heard my father. I've seen him put up tents and put sawdust all over the ground. And he was theatric. He would put on, he would pick up chairs and hold them up in the air and, and get very expressive. In fact, Billy Sunday would say, one of the things he would say, and I've got a picture of him saying this. It's holding up a chair and he says, it's hell, H-E-double-L, it's not Hades. stupid. It's Hades, bub. Hades means the place of the unseen. He he was crazy. He's the one that Billy Graham follows behind. By the late 1800s, it was standard technique for receiving Christ as Moody's influence spread. He believed, and then R.A. Torrey comes along. He believed on-the-spot salvation conversion. R.A. Torrey. Torrey popularized the idea of instant salvation with no strings attached. You don't have to obey nothing. Just pray this prayer. Billy Sunday and the, Pas- and the Pacific Garden Mission. Have you ever heard Pacific Garden Mission on radio? They've got a radio. It's uh, They have a little one-act play on radio. Meanwhile, in Chicago, Billy Sunday, a well-known baseball player from Iowa, had been converted in the Pacific Garden Mission the mission was Chicago's most successful implementation of Moody's Scheme. It was a scheme. Eventually, Sunday left baseball to preach. He had a great public charm, was one of the first to mix ideas of entertainment with the ministry. He was entertaining. By the early 1900s, he had become a great, well-known crusade leader. In his crusades, he popularized the Moody-Finney method and included a bit of circus touch. He was humorous, had outlandish behavior. Often it was associated with a prayer. And other times a person was told they were saved because they simply walked down his tabernacle sawdust trail to the front where he was standing. In time, people were told they were saved because they publicly shook Sunday's hand. He was very famous. I've heard of Billy Sunday since I was a little kid. Billy Sunday died in 1935 behind hundreds of his imitators. More than anything else, Billy Sunday helped crusades become acceptable to all denominations. He died in 1935. Billy Graham started preaching in 1936, a year later.
0: Large religious bodies sold out. Now let me give you Bill Bright, Billy Graham.
1: Billy Graham and his crusades were the next step in evolution of things. Billy Graham was converted in 1936 at a Sunday-style crusade. By the late 1940s, it was evident to many that Graham would be the champion of evangelism in America. His crusade summed up everything that has been done from the times of Charles Finney to evangelicalism. His crusade summed up everything that Finney had done. Now, let me... Now... Late in 1977, Billy Graham published a now famous and famous work entitled How to Be Born Again. I've got that book. I picked it up somewhere. It's ridiculous. That's like saying there's a person that's going to be born out here by his mother and father. And I need to preach to him and tell him, here's how you're born to your mother and father. Here's how you get the egg to be fertilized by the sperm. Here's how it's done. You say, Jim, that sounds ignorant. It is ignorant. Stupid. We were born by the will of God. Of his own will begat he us. That word will is the word boule. B-O-U-L-E. That's James one eighteen. It means purpose. Of his own purpose begat he us. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is wrong with these preachers that say you have to let God come into your heart when you're dead and you can't let God do anything? That's where predestination comes in. I gave you this paper why predestination is true you're dead you can't birth yourself you can't will yourself into the kingdom he has to will us in he has to birth us he quickens jesus quickens the bible says in john five twenty one, even so the son quickeneth whom he will quicken z-o-o p-o-i-e-o make alive you go to the zoo to see living animals this word quicken means to make alive. How can you make yourself alive? By walking down an aisle. That has to. Salvation is God's will. And it's not yours. And your will has nothing to do whether you're a believer or not. Nothing. How does it happen? The new birth is the miracle of God that no man can explain. He has an elect family. He puts he puts you in a pathway somewhere along the way. You hear the gospel. He has prepared your heart. It cuts into your heart and has nothing to do with your will. Are you willing after you come alive? Yes. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Not in the Not in the day that you walk down the aisle and pray a sinner's prayer. I've never asked anybody here to pray a sinner's prayer, have I? Never. We're not even concerned with that. How to be born again. How ridiculous. He says the cataract, the blind spot, kept him away from the most powerful conversion event in all scripture. It is my guess that its emphasis on baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sin was incompatible with his approach. Then he says, speaking of the living Bible, by the late 1960s, Seeing that that nearly every evangelical was printing some form of four spiritual laws, which was drawn up by Bill Bright and Billy Graham. Bill Bright was the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, and they introduced it into the colleges. And Billy Graham started his ministry in that group as a young preacher. Even a Bible was printed with this theology inserted in God's Word. Thus, in the 1960s, the Living Bible's translation became the translation of choice as follows. Even in his own land, among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted, only a few welcomed and received him. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was trust God him to save them and that's not in the Bible all those who believe this are reborn they make it simply a decision of the mind and not God's decision to come into whoever he wills to into his predestinated elect family that's hard for people to accept and then he says these bold words this word all that needed to do was trust him to save them it's not in the Bible. Let me read something else. This is another paper on faith. I'm just going to read you this little bit about Billy Graham. Then I'm going to go on to this paper I gave you. This will tell you why predestination is true, why men cannot accept Christ as their personal Savior. That was Billy Graham's message. I saw a special on him yesterday. I thought, man... All he would do would get up and say, God loves you. God loves all of you. It's a lie. That's a lie. God loves very few people. He said so. I don't know where people think I get this, but it comes out of Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Only few are going to find truth. And Billy Graham had everybody thinking the whole world. He was preaching. I've said before he was preaching to stadiums full of people. They had him preaching overseas to half a million people in an audience. And just scattered out over fields everywhere. He was preaching to two million people at one time. And everybody loved him. And he told everybody that God loved everybody, and God loves you, and you can't tell the world that. Dave used to say that all the time when he sees the sign and says, God loves you. He'd say, how do they know that? That's what I want to know. How do you know that? You have to understand the words love. I keep saying it. I'm going to put it on the board again. Agape and phileo. These are the two words. agape and phileo, they're not the same word, yet preachers interchange them. They've both been translated to the word L-O-V-E, and agape has also been translated as charity. These are not the same word. Phileo means to have affection for, to like something or somebody. You can like anything. I like chocolate cake, I like to get drunk, I like to take drugs, I like to go fishing, I like my boat, I like my car, I like my wife, I like my house. You like anything.
0: But that's not what agape is. Agape, it is a relationship
1: that kings had for their subjects. Kings and subjects. Subjects are those that they rule. And the Bible says in Second John 6
0: this is love. That word love is agape. And it goes on to say that we walk after his
1: commandments. When you have a sinner's prayer, you're not required to do anything. Well, you're saved. I saw this idiot off of a 700 Club interviewing people on Hollywood uh, Boulevard in California, and he's (laughs) on a corner of a street, and a hot rod comes up. And there's teenage punks in it. And he looks over at them and says, Do y'all believe in Jesus? They said, Yeah. He said, They're saved. What, what, that's what they think ridiculousness is. That's what ridiculous is. They think that if you'll say, I believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross and nothing has to come alive in your heart, that makes you a believer. It don't make you a believer.
0: It's outrageous. If he loves you, he does something to you. He scourges Every son, he receiveth. I don't know if you've really gotten a hold of this over in Hebrews 12. 12. Look over at
1: Hebrews 12. Look at that. Hebrews 12. Let's just read this so you can see this. When I say God doesn't love everybody and somebody says I've had people say, well, I think he does. I say, well, then he he may not love you. Well, he loves me. Well, he may not if he don't scourge you so you can be a partaker of his holiness. The ones he loves, he scourges. And a scourge was a bloody whipping. The scourge, that word scourge there, I used to wrestle with this. What does God mean he scourges? Because I knew the Jews had a scourge. The Jews had a scourge and they would beat somebody with a stick. But that's not what this says. The scourge was what they beat Christ with, and it is the word mastix, M A S T I X. That's the noun. And the verb form of the noun is mastigao, M A S T I G O O. He will beat you with that mastigao. The mastigao was a short whip had leather thongs on it, like so, had pieces of glass and bone. And God said, I will beat you with that if I love you.
0: For a reason. And he tells you the reason right here. In Hebrews 12,
1: verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, that's the word agapao, the verb form of agape." A-G-A-P-E-O, that's the verb.
0: For whom the Lord loveth, he goes on to say, he chasteneth
1: and scourges every son whom he receiveth. And that "will receiveth is an amazing word. It's the word decomai. He has to decomai comes from the word dec, which is the word 10. A decade is 10 years. I put this on the board a lot because this is important. And decalogue, D-E-C-A-L-O-G-U-E, comes from dec and logos. It means the ten words of God, the ten commandments. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been made. God says, I have to accept you. You cannot accept me. You're dead. And Billy Graham preached accept Christ every message. That is an out and out lie. If predestination is not true, you'd have to accept Christ. I keep saying this. Do you accept the things of God? Yes, but not till you're born. You can't can't accept Christ in order to be born again because you're dead in sin. And you hath he quickened who were dead in sin. So the Bible says here, God has to do the accepting. He looks down to all time, looks at all the people and says, I want this one and this one and this one and this one and this one. And and that's enough. And I'll arrange their lives to hear the truth. And they will come to me because I will call them to me. And no man can come to me except my father, which has sent me draw him. And that word draw is the word hell code. It means to drag in. You can't come unless God drags you in. You may be in screaming, but he'll, you'll learn to like it. That's the thing. Let's read this. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If God doesn't whip you, whose son are you? You're not God's son. He said, my sons will behave themselves. I'll beat them till they do. And then he says, but if you be without chastisement, no chastisement, whereof all are protectors, then are you bastards and you're no son of mine. Well, if we're sons, he has to place us, doesn't he? The Bible says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Adoption, Huilto H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. Huthosia Huthos, so comes from Huias, which is the word sons, and titheme, which means to place sons. If you're a son, you have been placed as a son. It wasn't your will, it was his will. The only reason you get into the kingdom is he picked you out before the foundation of the world. He arranged your life to cause the preaching of truth, and you will come to him. And he's the one that does the making alive. What is that thing inside of us that makes us alive? Well, it's God putting Christ in us, and you don't have anything to do with that. And Billy Graham never preached that, did he? Never preached predestination. Never preached it was God's will. He preached, well, it's God's will that everybody be saved. He loves everybody. It's not God's will that everybody be saved. One of his favorite verses and one of my father's favorite verses it was over there in Second Peter three and nine. God is not willing that any should perish. And Jerry Falwell quoted that every message and said, "God wants to save the whole world, but Jerry, what about few? Because wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat." Billy Graham is trying to save the world. He was everybody's friend. I've got a picture of him here with his friends. Here's his friends. He was friends of the world. Everybody liked him, except me. I didn't like him. There he is with George Bush, Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, And his own son standing there. And he was friends with all of them. He actually told Bill Clinton, he said, you've got such a way with people, you should be an evangelist. The womanizing, one of the most womanizing presidents we've ever had needs to be an evangelist. (laughs) He was outrageous when he would say these things. All the... Everybody liked him. All the presidents liked him all the way back to Harry Truman, except Harry Truman. Harry Truman said he was a phony. And he was. I don't know how Harry Truman figured that out. He was the president after Roosevelt. I was a little boy when he became president. How how people don't know that. Now, here's what the Bible says. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father's spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. I'll ask people. Well, if God loves you, has he scourged you, beat you with a bloody beating so you can partake of his holiness? If you ever partake of his holiness, if you ever partake of his hagiosmos, H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S, that's the word holiness. It comes from the word hagiozo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O, which is the word sanctify, which means to set apart which means to set apart. And from sanctify, we get the word hagios, which means H-A-G-I-O-S. That's the word holy. And the Bible commands us with an imperative mood in the first chapter of First Peter, be holy. That's a command from God. You will be holy, but if you're holy... He's saying you will partake of the scourge and I will get you over yourself. Billy Graham didn't preach this. He didn't preach. He never mentioned predestination. So we can partake of its holiness. Let me finish up something here. Here's another paper on Billy Graham. Dr. Paul Chitwood, PhD with the Southern Baptist
0: Convention, fought this sinner's prayer and he fought accept Christ the practice of having the lost repeat
1: a sinner's prayer in order to become a Christian is false he says Chitwood effectively demonstrates that the sinner's prayer is new and very recent evangelistic methodology In church history. It's new. It's just a few hundred years old. Chitwood. I already read that. The sinner's prayer did not appear until well into the 20th century. Moreover the concept of bringing or inviting Jesus into your heart. That really appalls me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You think God wants to come into your wicked, evil, dark heart? What am I going to do? Well, the 36th chapter of Ezekiel says that God has to give us a new heart. The word heart, cardia. Oops, cardia. We get our word cardiac from that. That's the Greek word heart. It didn't mean the aorta in the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the right oracle and the left oracle. I don't remember that much in biology. It don't mean that. It meant the place of understanding. God's going to give you a new understanding. He don't want to move in there with your old understanding. Reminds us of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. You've got to have a new understanding, a new heart. Now, let me read some more of this. You can get this off the internet. Did you know that? Just Google Sinner's Prayer. I knew these men's names for years. Charles Finney. D.L. Moody was one of the most famous names that was mentioned Around the preachers where I grew up. And he was a free willer. And how in the world they got a so-called predestinationist preaching in that church in Chicago. I don't know. But he don't preach much predestination. You can listen to him on the, on the radio. The concept of bringing or inviting Jesus into your heart is one that does not occur readily before the turn of the 20th century. Sometime this century, the invitation to immediate conversion was, that's when you pray the sinner's prayer and walk down the aisle, associated with the specific prayer for and by the sinner, which completed the event of salvation in 1945, Ferris Dan Witzel, in his book, 65 Ways to Give Evangelistic Invitations, provides a sample of the sinner's prayer. Now listen to this. By the 1950s, the sinner's prayer was becoming commonplace. And by the 1950s, Billy Graham had just blown up to all over the world. And he was publicized by a Roman Catholic publisher named William Randolph Hearst. And every article says that everywhere. And he embraced the Catholic Church. He said that the Catholics were preaching the same
0: gospel that he preached. Does that upset me? I I despise this
1: doctrine of sinners prayer. I've told you all before, as a little boy, my father would stand up there. You've tried to run down your father. No, he's in the hands of God now, but he didn't tell the truth. The last thing he said to me on the phone, the last thing my father said, he said, Jimmy, all that matters is a man accepts Christ as a personal Savior. And that's all that
0: matters. Goodbye.
1: Well, he lied when he told me his last words. He said the same things Billy Graham, D.O. Moody, Charles Finney said. By the 1950s, the sinner's prayer was becoming commonplace in the greatest That was the 1950s when Billy Graham was blossoming into the greatest evangelist of all time. He was preaching to hundreds of thousands. He'd make Benny Hinn look like an amateur. And that 30,000 member church of Osteen's down in Houston was nothing compared to the crowds of Billy Graham.
0: The Greatest of All Journeys published in 1950. And then they give an
1: illustration of it. They include the idea of inviting Jesus into one's heart. And all of this began by the mid-20th century, where Billy Graham began to gain fame. The sinner's prayer is what could be termed a modern method in evangelism. No occurrence or suggested prayer, and certainly not the sinner's prayer appears, in evangelistic tracts published by the American Tract Society in the 1950s. But by the year 2000, the American Tract Society is publishing the Sinner's Prayer and Accept Christ. They polluted. They got polluted. No suggested prayer existed in the literature published by ATS, American Tract Society, during the first 127 years of of its existence the repeating of a few brief words of prayer is never encouraged sinners are now encouraged to invite Jesus into their heart and life one could argue that the entire shift of focus has taken place the whole focus on what salvation is you have to be born again but you don't have anything to do with that it's not your will it's God's will if you start believing one day you're not going to know where it started Who's the who instituted belief in your heart? God did. He has to put faith there. That's predestination. Beginning in the late nineteen fifties, the Sinner's Prayer became commonplace in American tract society. The most popular tracts containing the Sinner's Prayer are Billy Graham's Steps to Peace with God and Bill Bright's The Four Spiritual Laws. Graham and Bright deserve much of the credit for the popularity of the sinner's prayer. Let me read that again. Graham and Bright deserve much of the credit for the popularity of the sinner's prayer. Graham's enormously popular track, Steps to Peace with God, was first published in the early 1950s. The track closes with the directions of how to receive Christ and then directions on what to pray. People emulate Billy Graham. All the preachers did that. They picked it up. In fact, Billy Graham is the guy that got made it popular to every head bowed and every eye closed. That has nothing to do with being saved either. A member of Graham's Evangelistic Association suggested the possibility that the prayer may have come from Graham's own heart. Sinner's prayer cannot be found in regular use before the 1940s. This evidence points strongly to Billy Graham as the possible originator of the sinner's prayer. When asked in 1998 whether he was responsible for creating the prayer, Graham responded that he has been using it as long as he can remember. He cannot recall if the prayer came from someone else or not. Graham has had a major role in popularizing the sinner's prayer, which is a lie. More than 121 people have indicated making salvation decisions for Christ that prayed the sinner's prayer under Graham's leadership. 121 million people.
0: I don't know any other way to present this to you than to read it. Boy. Listen to this. Bill Bright had experience that forever impacted
1: his ministry. One of our speaker's. For staff training that summer was a Christian layman who was an outstanding sales consultant a man who had taught thousands of salesmen how to sell one of the main points of his address was that to be a successful salesman a man must have a pitch you don't want to be trying to sell me a car with your pitch I'll call you down I've called people down before hi there buddy how you doing we got the car for you and it's your car it looks just like you and a guy does that to me. And I told the guy down here at Nissan. Breviate Nissan. I said, don't talk to me that way. He went, uh, uh, oh, did I say something? I said, yes, I don't like to be smoozed like that. You just talk to me like a human being. And he changed in a second. I was up here at Bill Miracle in Gallatin. And bill's son was trying to sell me something boy he's fast talking i said stop that he said what what What? would i do i said that's smooth talk i don't like it you talk to me like a human being don't talk to me hey buddy hey pal hey i love you and i love your life and I love your car and i know you got a great dog and i just want to say get lost and he said i'm just using sales on you he said you're a preacher aren't you i said yes he said well you got a sales pitch i said now you're in my territory i told him then i told him about predestination god had all his people picked before the foundation of the world and he just driveled and melted away he didn't know what to say don't let people talk to you like that that's a con when I sold real estate, I never closed the deal. They'd say, just sign right here. never did. I'd tell young couples, do you want this house? If you want it, you can sign here. But, I, And I'd tell them, if you decide when you get home you don't want it, I think I can get you out of the contract. Boy, the broker's wife would go, don't say that to them. Don't say that. I said, you get out of my office. I was one of the top salesmen in the company. You can't tell me how to talk to people. And people would come back to me because I treated them right. Then it says the widespread popularity of the sinner's prayer is not due to the fact that the prayer has always been around. The prayer is a relatively new practice in evangelism, not coming into use until the 20th century under Billy Graham's meetings. It wasn't popularized. Now, I've given you a paper. This will tell you why there's no sinner's prayer. I hate the sinner's prayer. I hate people even trying to lead people in it. They go out on visitation on Thursday night. They go into the house. Would you like to accept Christ and get saved? And usually they'll kick you out for that. I want us to go over here and see if there's a sinner's prayer. As a lost sinner... And you haven't been born again yet. Let's see if you can pray the sinner's prayer. Go over here to John 9. Now I've got it on this paper here. I don't know where it is. John 9. Yeah, I got it. It's number two. We're saved by belief, not prayer. But if you believe God, he has to put it in your heart. Because there's nothing good in you, now look here in John nine: Jesus heals this man, he's blind from birth, and the Pharisees come and say, "This man healed on the Sabbath. who is he? who Who healed you? First of all, he, the Pharisees come to his mom and dad and they say, "Who healed?" They say, "Who healed your son??" And they look at the, the Pharisees, the mom and dad, and say, well, he's a grown man. Ask him. So they go over and ask him, well, who healed you? This is the Sabbath day. He defiled the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath.
0: This man's a sinner.
1: And here's what the man says. John 9, verse 31. This is the man's answer to the Pharisees. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, Speaking of Christ. But if any man be a worshiper of God. And doeth his will. Him he heareth. You have to be worshipping God. And doing the will of God. Before he'll hear you this man says. Look over here in Acts. The 16th chapter. Acts 16. This is chapter where the most perennial question is asked. Paul and Silas have been put in jail. And uh, while they're in jail, they were locked up. When they laid many stripes on them in verse 23, they cast Paul and Silas into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, it was among the Roman laws that if your prisoner escaped, that you'd have to pay the penalty that he was going to pay. It was death. You'd have to die if he escaped from you. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. You've seen the stocks. They put the blocks over their feet and lock them down so they can't get away. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them and Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and every one's bands were loosed and The keeper of the prison, waking out of the deep out of sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew his sword. And would have killed himself because he's going to have to pay with his life if they're escaped. Supposing that the prisoners had fled. And Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm. We're all here. We're not running. Don't do yourself any harm. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he asked the greatest question that's ever been asked about Christ and he brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved he didn't follow and say would you pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart you can't pray a prayer and not mean it with your heart because prayer means to bow to the will of God thy will be done how can you pray a prayer and not mean it pray this prayer and mean it with all your heart and preachers will say that as people walk down the aisle to accept Christ and pray a sinner's prayer I hate this doctrine. It confused me as a little boy. I didn't know what to do. My daddy would say, if you don't know tonight, this may be your last chance. You die tonight. You'll go to hell. He might as well say, said, Jimmy. And boy, I'd take off down the aisle so many times. I cannot count. It's what those independent Baptists do. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved and thy house. Lead your family into this same belief. It is belief. I keep saying. Believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. The word faith is P-I-S-T-I-S. P-I-S-T is called the stem of the word. The word is built on the stem. Faith is the noun. This is faith. And believe is the verb. Being a verb, it's something you do. If you change, you're going to start doing right, aren't you? Billy Graham didn't preach this. Can you see how man is justified by works and not by faith only? Justified doesn't mean saved. Justified, d k i o d i k a. I-O-O means to render innocent. You can be proven innocent by how you work. And it won't be works for salvation. It will be God working in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. That's what it will be. Now, look back over here at Romans 10.13. This is one of Billy Graham's favorite verses, Romans 10.13. I've brought this out so many times. I guess y'all gather, I hate the sinner's prayer, and I hate to accept Christ. And that's what all the Baptists, that picked it up for Billy Graham. It didn't become a popular doctrine until the 50s when he was at the height of his fame. And these preachers today, they don't have big crowds compared to Graham. He had the biggest crowds in history. If you can watch that special they had on him. They'll show fields, people, just hundreds of thousands of people coming to see him, raising their hands, and I want to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, Romans ten thirteen. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but all Baptist preachers, this is their favorite verse and way to get into heaven. This is the faith, and they'll only quote Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word whosoever is not in the text. It's the all calling shall be saved. There's no such thing as the word whosoever in the Greek text. It's not there. The Bible doesn't say, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It doesn't say that. John three sixteen. I sat up with a guy the other night and showed him it's not there. I took the interlinear Bible out. I took one of my books uh, that has the interlinear Bible in it. and has every word parsed. That means defined what part of speech it is. And I said, here's what it says. For God so loved the world. So is an adverb. He didn't love everybody in the world like Billy Graham and so many preachers. say He didn't love all the world. He so loved, loved is the word agape, he gave his commandments. Whenever you see agape or agape, oh, put gave his commandments. This is love that we walk after his commandments. For God in this fashion, adverbs tell how, when, where, and why, and they modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. So modifies the word loved. To modify means to alter. Without so,
0: you have a totally different verse. You have a completely different. How much time do I have, Mike? Okay.
1: I'm making some good time. So being an adverb telling how. How? You can't say, for God so something without something it's referring back to. It's referring back to verse 14. Verse 14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God in this same fashion saved his people. He lifted up Christ, and whoever looked When you read that over in Numbers, the 18th chapter, chapter, whoever looked, lived. I think it's the 11th chapter, excuse me. Looked, lived. Whoever looks at Christ lives. But who's going to look at Christ? The ones that God has given a seeing eye and a hearing ear. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. You won't look to Christ unless he gives you a seeing eye. So in this same fashion, God loved, it doesn't say world, it says cosmos. It actually says in the, in the interlinear Bible, kosmon. Word endings change. K-O-S-M-O-S is the same basic word. Word endings are changed because of where they are in the sentence. Cosmos is actually a predicate nominative, loved world. It receives the the action of love and he so loved Cosmon and it is masculine and gender singular. There's one orderly arrangement of mankind and it doesn't say it does not say in the Greek text, Whosoever believeth. Whosoever is every time you hear whosoever you think well that's whosoever will. It is not. It doesn't you never have whosoever will in the Bible. In the original Greek text, it's not there.
0: It says that the believing P
1: I S T E U O N that the Believing all shall have eternal life. That's what it says in the original text. It doesn't say all. It says pos, which is the word all. Pos. All. The is masculine gender, singular. Believing is a participle, masculine gender, singular. And all is the pronoun they modify. It's masculine gender, singular. There's one all There is a particular, the is a definite article, there's one particular all. What is that? The flock, the church, the wife, the bride, that's God's elect people. There's one specific all. Whosoever is a corruption of the Bible. I don't know, I guess these... Roman Catholic translators that were there got their way in some things. I hate the word whosoever. I hate it with a passion. Let me give you something else over here in Revelation. I haven't read this in. Let me give you this as long as I'm here. Let me give you Revelation and tell you what it says. Revelation 22. So you can understand this. I don't like free will, and Billy Graham was a free will preacher. He said, all you have to do is repeat this prayer, and you get to go to heaven. You can be a biker, uh, playing in biker bars every night, and getting drunk, and taking drugs, and do that your whole life and tell somebody, well, I got saved when I was 10 years old, and I prayed the sinner's prayer, and drive like crazy and run into some truck one day when you're 55 or 60, and go into eternity and somebody in heaven will go to the funeral and say, Well, he accepted Christ
0: from his tear, No, he didn't. There's no such thing as accept Christ. Look here in verse 17 of Revelation 22.
1: And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth,
0: who's going to hear? The man with the hearing ear, right? Come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will I hate that.
1: It doesn't say that in the original text. Whosoever will it says it actually says Ho
0: Thalo Ho t-h e-l-o The Willing
1: it says, The Willing. It doesn't say whosoever. It's not in the original text. You can come up here after church. I'll get my interlinear Bible. I'll then show
0: you. That's the original text of Septuagint. But then it says, Let him
1: take the water of life freely. That sounds like it's up to you, doesn't it? Let him, as third person singular, take is an imperative command. That is a command from God just as much as let there be light. Will there be light? Yes. When he says it, when he tells you to take the water of life freely, he is not inviting you to do that.
0: The water of life is the Holy Spirit, which is the truth. And he birthed that into every one of his elect's heart. Now go back over here to Romans 10.
1: I don't know if Billy Graham's
0: just never read this or not. How can you... I don't know. Verse 13, Romans 10. Every Baptist
1: preacher in America quotes this. Every Baptist church on Sunday morning, usually they preclude the invitation hymn by this verse. All you have to do is come and call upon the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be, call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what it says, doesn't it? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you read the next verse. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Believe needs to be in bright red letters, doesn't it? It Needs to be a flashing light. Believe is the method of salvation. But you can't pray to a God you don't believe in, can you? Is anybody here going to pray to... Zeus this morning. Anybody here going to pray to Jupiter? How about Venus? Would you like to pray to Venus? Why? Why Why? can't I get any hands? Nobody here believes that Jupiter is a real God, do we? And you're not going to call on him if you don't believe in him. And people are not going to call on Jesus. Do you all see the importance of this? And it says right here, you can't call him a God you don't believe in in these papers that I've been reading to you about the sinner's prayer and accept Christ. The Southern Baptist had a Southern Baptist convention who used to believe in predestination. They had a forum on the sinner's prayer and accept Christ, and they decided in the Southern Baptist Convention. To keep that in their bylaws. The sinner's prayer. And accept Christ. Even though this says right here. You cannot call unless you believe. New birth comes. Will you call then? Yes. But some people have mistaken their calling for their salvation. Then they can go out and live the way they want.
0: No you can I'm just. Just disgust me. Let me read the rest of that. How shall they
1: call on him in whom they've not believed? That's the word right there. You have to believe to call. So if you ever really start praying a prayer to God, and you mean it, you have to be a believer. He's not going to listen to people who don't believe him. And how shall they believe on him in whom they've not heard? Billy Graham says that you didn't have to even hear the name of Jesus. He made, he made friends with people who said they didn't even believe. Norman Vincent Peale, who was one of his best Christian friends, he said, said, you do not have to be born again. Even though Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Just denying the word of God. I didn't like him. I'll never like him. You can come and burn a cross in my yard. You can come and shoot me. I'll never like Billy Graham for the lies that he spun among the people. He was a liar. But he sure was a nice guy, wasn't he? He doesn't look bad in his picture. He never talked bad. His family said he was a good guy all the time. He just wasn't telling anybody the truth. Haven't you learned that people are deceived by good words and fair speeches? Mark them which cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to the doctrines you've learned. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. That word good words, crestologia, means plausible words. It sounds, well, it sounds right. What do you mean you can't call upon God and be saved? You can't call that misleads people down an aisle and it starts this confusion in their life and they don't know they have to repent. They have to be born again. But if they repent, it'll be the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. You can't repent yourself. That's why I gave you this paper here on the front. And I've gone through these verses with you and I wanted everybody to have them. There's... There's the verse at the top of the page. Number one, the natural sukikos the physical man, the man of the senses, this body here, does not receive, in it word it means to accept, does not receive anything spiritual. You can't accept Christ. The Bible says so. You mean these guys missed it? And then Romans three, ten through 12, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seek that, that understand it. There's none that seek. Nobody seeks God. The Bible says so. How can you be seeking God in a sinner's prayer and walking down the aisle when the Bible says you can't seek Him? You have no interest in Him unless He puts it in your heart. If a person does walk down the aisle and if they are saved, it's not the walk down the aisle that saves them. It's the belief, isn't it? But if you believe, you're going to do. You're going to change. I can't invite you to be born again. Billy Graham writing that stupid book, How to Be Born Again, that's like, say, I'm going to tell this person how to be born, he's never been born yet, and he don't have any ears to hear me. You realize how stupid their doctrine is? It's an ignorant doctrine. I've hated it. When I grew up and I found out there was no except Christ by studying the Bible, there was no sinner's prayer. I got. I actually started hating that doctrine when I grew up because it led me astray. I went off out in sin. I thought, well, I'm saved. I can go out here and do this. God had to wake me up as I got older. You can't live the way you want. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. He bought and paid for you, and you didn't have anything to do with that either. How can I be saved? Well, you got to believe, but you can't, and that's all i got to say. Bye. You can't. But but if I say you can't believe, if you're one of God's elect, I can't stop you from believing by saying you can't believe. And you can't believe. It'll have to be God that brings it to you. I love the verse. I didn't understand it for years. I didn't understand. Verse over there in John 3. After Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, go over to John 3.
0: you've all heard accept christ haven't you haven't everybody heard that
1: all you got to do is accept christ as your personal savior and you can't do it you have to be born again but if you're a believer god put the belief in your heart quit trying to convince somebody at a restaurant or where you work that they have to believe quit trying to convince them I've told little girls in restaurants, the waitress, I'd say, look, you have to believe God, but you can't unless God puts it in your heart. And that's all I've got to say to you. What I've been telling you here is true. If you belong to God, you'll believe, and if you don't, you won't. That's the way it is. Everybody out there, everybody in this room here, you either born to believe by God. Or you were born to go to hell. You were natural brute beasts, made or born to be taken and destroyed. Everyone was a goat or a sheep before they were born. Before the world began, everybody in the world was a goat or a sheep. And there's more goats than there are sheep. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Thank God that you can believe and you understand truth. Because if you understand predestination, God is the one that did it. You can't tell anybody, I'd like to get saved. How do I get saved? Well, you can't get saved. He has to save you according to His will, and if He does, He's going to put conviction in your heart, make you a new creation. And you'll be birthed in Christ, and you'll have the inner man living in you, and that will convict your heart about how you're supposed to be living. Oh, you may go out here and live wrong for some years like I've done and most of you've done. But if we belong to God, he's going to get a hold of us somewhere along the way and cause us to live holy and godly and righteously. I was at the store the other day, and I told a guy works down here at the vitamin store, I said, let me explain righteous to you. I said, it's the word dikei osune. I know you don't understand that. But dikei osune comes from the word dikei, D-I-K-E, and that's the word right. All you have to do to know what righteous is, is to know what's right. And God put it in your heart to know what's
0: right. Didn't he? If you're not right, do I have any time, Mike?
1: All right. You can read some of these verses. At Romans three, ten through twelve, there's none that seeketh after God, they're all going out of the way. That's quoted from Psalms fourteen, one through three. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God, they're corrupt, they have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. They're all gone aside, they're all together filthy. That's all men. Ecclesiastes seven twenty. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Not one. If you ever do righteousness and he ever births himself in your heart, you will learn to do right. And you'll have conviction before you start doing it. And you'll wrestle with how much you're supposed to do. Does anybody here wrestle with whether they're doing right or not? That means that Christ is living in your heart. Putting that conviction there. You didn't put it there yourself with some prayer. You weren't born with a prayer. You were born because, boy, if you really believe that... Sinner's prayer is on this end of the universe. Sinner's prayer, although the other end of the universe is predestination. For whom he did foreknow. Not who foreknew Christ, whom he foreknew. Prognosco. Those are the ones he's predestined to conform to the image of his son. You didn't have anything to do with Christ foreknowing you. Prognosco. To know intimately beforehand. You didn't have anything to do with that. Those are the ones he's predestined to be like Jesus. I've said this so many times. I'm not up here to convince you to believe God. If you're a believer, I'm up here telling you what's going on in your life as a believer. All that trial you're going through is to get your attention. It's a scourge so you will live right for God. I'm just an instructor for the elect. That's all. And if you are elect, you're elected unto obedience. But you, who has anything to do with their election? Does the president choose himself? He may decide to go on the ticket, but he don't choose himself. You don't choose your own election. God does that. And then over in Job 15, 14 through 17, What is man that he should be clean? He which is born of woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he doesn't put any trust in his saints. What he means, he's going to trust you to come to him and live right. He's not going to trust you. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drink of the iniquity like water? And that's all men. That's Billy Graham. He looked like a good guy, but he wasn't. You can't judge people by their personality. If they really believe God, they'll learn to use plain, great plainness of speech And you'll be laughed at and mocked and made fun of. I guess y'all gather I hate that doctrine of sinner's prayer. And that's the only way they'll give to you in some Baptist church to get saved. You can't get saved. Saved is the word sozo. It means to be taken all the way. Sozo. All the way from one point to another point. To be preserved and protected through the whole deliverance. Through all the fire and the trials and the persecution. We have been saved. We were marked to be saved before the foundation of the world. Nobody's adding to God's flock. Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Nobody's going to add to it. When he's, when all these guys talk about uh, God's not willing that any should perish, that is an answer to the scoffers in the first part of the chapter of 2 Peter 3. Scoffers will come saying... Where is this promise of your Messiah's coming? You bunch of Christians. You don't have any hope. Why, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as the work from the beginning. And they're willingly ignorant there was a flood. And we look at them and we say, The days of the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. It's just been a couple of days since he's been here. And you say we don't have any hope? God is not slack concerning his promise. They say at the first part of the chapter, where's this promise of your Messiah's coming? He's not coming for you. He never has. And we say the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any of us should perish. Not any willing that any of the flock. <laughs> us is a pronoun. Us has to have an antecedent. Every pronoun has an antecedent. It's the noun or pronoun it refers back to. It refers back to us. Not willing that any of us should perish, but all of us should come to repentance. And we answer the scoffers by saying that. God doesn't want everybody saved like Billy Graham said. He loves you all. He loves everybody. No, he does not. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born. Before either one had done any good or evil, I've missed so many of these verses here. God doesn't love everybody. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that a particular believing all.
0: He loved Jacob, He hated Esau. And you got those verses here.
1: I keep saying, if love is the commandments of God, of God, then all that he loves will have the commandments of God in their heart. He's written on fleshy tables of our hearts, hasn't he? Huh? If he's written in our hearts, then those he loves, he's written in your heart. And you'll have to be obedient to him. Who did He's written on fleshy tables of our hearts. Who does the writing? You with your decision? You with your sinner's prayer? You can't write his laws in your heart. In fact, the Bible says the love of God in the fifth chapter of Romans is shed abroad in our heart. Love is agape. If the love is shed abroad in our hearts, then his commandments are shed abroad in our hearts. That's Romans 5. That would be the same thing as First Corinthians, Second Corinthians uh, six. Excuse me, Second Corinthians three, where he writes on fleshy tables of our hearts. He does the writing, he does the birthing, he does the quickening. You do nothing. If you're interested in Christ, who put it there? You. When you're worthless, when you're there's none good. Jesus says in Matthew nineteen seventeen, when the rich young ruler comes to him and said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? If I'm good, I'm God. That's what he's saying to him. Then down in Romans seven eighteen, Paul said, As a believer, I don't even know how to do right now, how to perform that which is good. I find not in me. That word perform cathargaz of mine means to fully accomplish. I don't know how to accomplish right. I'm a believer and I'm writing fourteen books
0: of the New Testament. One more or less, I think he wrote Hebrews. And the next verse there surely men of low degree are vanity
1: and men of high degree are lie. To be laid in the balance, they're altogether lighter than nothing. Vanity is the word evil. It means nothing, H-E-B-E-L. That's the word vanity. If men are lighter than vanity, then how much good in them do they have to call upon him with a sinner's prayer? They don't have any good. The only good that's in a man is when Christ births himself in his elect family, and these are his believers that he chose before the foundation of the world, and Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You can read the rest of these Proverbs twenty and nine. Who can say I've made my heart clean with a sinner's prayer or accepting Christ? You can't, nobody. Proverbs sixteen and four The Lord has made all things for him shall even the wicked for the day of evil. A man's heart devises his way there are Proverbs sixteen and nine, the next verse number eleven. But the Lord is the one that directs his steps. You're not going to go where you plan to go. You're going to go where God plans for you to go so you can hear the word somewhere down the way. Micah 7 and 2, number 12. The good man has perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Job thirty-three, thirteen. People say, why would God do this? Well, he's not going to tell you why he does it. He's not going to tell you why he picks out people. Thou strivest against him, for he giveth not account of any of his matters. He's not going to account to man. Well, why would God pick out some and not another? Usually the only reason a person will say that is they may think that they're not picked. Isaiah 45, 7. I make, I create light and darkness, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Job one twenty-one twenty-two. 22. Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. Blessed be the name of the Lord gave, and the Lord took away. He said, It was God that killed my seven sons and three daughters. It was not the devil. And in the last verse says, "In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job tells the truth about me. I killed his kids. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. God is doing everything. Gosh, why not just settle back and and rest in it? That's the spiritual Sabbath. Rest in everything God's doing. He's doing it whether you accept it or not. And it's going to be the way he says whether you accept it or not. So why not accept it? You break your leg or you get blood clots on your lungs like me. Say, thank you, Lord. He said in everything, give thanks. Give thanks for the blood clots, okay? It's it's really funny to me. You'll sit here and say, we believe this, Jim, but, boy, it's hard to get a hold of. Well, you don't have to get a hold of it. It's going to happen anyway. You just go on and stress and worry about it till you get old. You'll say, and you wake up one day at 60 or 65 and say, why am I doing this? God said it was all his will, and it is. You ever fought anybody and got them to change? God's declared the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, Isaiah 46 and 10. He's declared everything that's not yet done. Not only has declared what's done, but he's declared everything that's not yet done, even the things that get on your nerves. So learn to accept it, and they won't get on your nerves. Learn to believe God. <laughs> Ephesians one we We've obtained an inheritance of being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who works all things after the counts of his own will. Psalms and fifteen three. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I'll do what I want. Don't nobody question me, God says. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will. In the army of heaven, this is number 20, among the inhabitants of the earth, and nobody can stop the hand of God from doing what he wants to do. Your worries won't stop him from doing what he wants. You're being greatly concerned about your situation in life. is not going to stop it from being what it is. I've, you know what's amazed me? I thought 1967, 68, I was going to die with what was going on in my life. I just stressed out constantly. I was just a nervous wreck going around just going, oh, God, what am I going to do? And you know what that's like now? You know what those thoughts that I had back then are, are like now? It's like somebody going out here on the parking lot and pouring a glass of water out on the ground and say, "Jim, Jim, Jim, somebody poured a glass of water on the ground." I said, "Okay." That's what the things of nineteen sixty-seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, and seventy mean to me now. And they were life and death back then, but they're not. If you just keep living, things will change. You'll change. <laughs> That's the truth. But we'll sit here and say, I believe in predestination. God's doing everything. Well, not completely you don't if you're stressing out. You you think that God has, well, this is the end of my life. It's all over with. No, it's not. God took me down a long, hard road and broke me by the time I was 40. He broke me. I didn't have any money, no way to live at 40 years old. And I started life all over again. And I'm out of time. You can read the rest of these yourself. These are favorite verses that I quote all the time. And you say, I don't think God would do that over there, number one of page two. What you think is neither here nor there. My thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts let's pray Father thank you for a better understanding of how we're saved it's not by prayer not by letting you do anything you're going to do what you want to do you're going to save who you want thank you for that because we know that when you deal with our hearts that we're one of your elect To live right, do right,
0: and live righteously and godly and holy. Fight our battles, whether it's health-wise
1: or what it is. And we'll give you praise for all things. In Christ's name, amen. There's old Bully Graham.
0: Doesn't it say there in the last verse of Hebrews that it written by Timothy? That huh? Hebrews is written by Timothy?
1: Yeah, but Timothy was always writing for Paul. Because oh, so Paul okay. couldn't write. Paul couldn't write. Hey, hold on a second. I got something for you. How's Mary? Well, she's not feeling too good. She's been having a hard time. Well, I had to take her to the hospital last night. Uh, She's had a hard, hard time. She's just really been struggling. Uh, I'm just, I was wore out this morning because we were talking. I'm going back to my hematologist, my blood doctor. Uh, Hold on a second. I think that's 220's, isn't it? Yeah, here's, there you go, there's for you, I love you. Love you too. I love you, brother, I really do. Yeah, I hope it gets feeling better. It'll be up to God and the doctors. Yeah. <laughs> I don't worry about stuff. Even when I'm sick, I don't worry about it. I really believe when I'm preaching. Compound interest on the, <laughs> huh? I said compound interest on the problem
0: anyway, worry is.
1: It is. It'll, it'll make you sicker, make it it'll it'll accelerate disease. I don't worry And I don't ever worry anymore. I used to worry as a real state, that was a basket case.
0: And